I haven't arrived. I'm not super successful. I'm just real. Yeah. Welcome to the Beautiful Project Podcast. What's it going to take for you, like you said, to see me? How? I don't understand. A place for ordinary women sharing extraordinary truths. I am fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I'm so much, you know, I'm learning to tell myself that I am so much more. Let my hair grow out. I can wear the clothes I want to wear. I can eat what I want to eat. Who are waiting for you to be their witness. If I can do anything... I want to be able to inspire people to just be their best. Welcome back to the Beautiful Project Podcast. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of the Beautiful Project. I am both excited and honored about this conversation. Um, Guys, you're going to get to meet my therapist, which is super exciting to me. Um, Annika and I have done work together. Um, We aren't doing work together right now, so it's been a while. I don't know. A year. A year, yeah. Um, But I specifically got to Annika during a place in my life where I was reckoning with my own sexual assault. And I'd been I've been in and out of uh, what's basically cognitive behavioral therapy for most of my life. And I consider myself like a connoisseur of therapists. Right. Like it's a um, I need to be to interact with people who I can't bullshit, who, um, you know, who can call me out on my on my shit and, and I definitely have had that in the talk therapy space uh, for probably the last 10 years. But what had happened when I was starting to reckon with my sexual assault is that I started to feel and realize a connection to my body that, that didn't seem to be able to be worked out in a talk therapy setting. And I had done enough reading around trauma and healing from trauma to understand that there is this deeply embodied connection when it comes to trauma. Um, Books like The Body Keeps the Score, um, those were just pivotal for me in understanding why it was that I seemed to be uh, stuck, I guess is how I would have felt about it at the time. And what it stuck looked like for me, it was, um, well, I had actually repressed the memory for most of my adult life and had only really started to give permission to let it be a part of my conscious reality probably in the year or two before I started working with Annika. So, um, and what stuck looked like to me is that I couldn't breathe when I thought about it or, or talked about it or um, I felt, uh, I don't, let me think, just completely... Um, disconnected interestingly enough from the experience but in a way that felt paralyzing so very disembodied right and so I'm doing all this work to come back to my body and I hit what feels like not like a pothole but like a complete wall and that was what led me to finding Annika so she was uh, referred to me because she um well, the direct reason for the referral was that she does EMDR. And I've talked a little bit about EMDR, but I'm not going to try to go into that too much. Um, I'm going to let Annika do that because she knows about it. I've just been on the, the couch side of that uh, conversation. So thank you for saying yes yeah. to hanging out and talking to me um, about this. And I think that the thing that's pretty much consistent um, with almost every woman I've ever talked to on some level is that we're all walking around with a lot of trauma in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Right. Um, so 
I think that this will be a really beneficial conversation for pretty much anybody, even if you haven't had like a big T trauma, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to have lived through a sexual assault to to be carrying trauma with you. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So uh, let's just start by you telling um, the audience a little bit about who you are and about what you do. Yeah. Well, my name is Annika Omelia and I work at Quad City Psychotherapy and I'm a therapist. Um, I have a degree in social work, so... There's lots of different kinds of therapists, um, but I'm a social worker. And then I went on to do uh, my master's and then two years of kind of supervised practice so mm-hmm. that I could practice independently. Mm-hmm. Um, but lots of people do EMDR. It could be a psychologist, a licensed mental health counselor. Um, so you, therapy is such a, lots of people yeah. and backgrounds, uh, you know, come into the therapy field. Yeah. Um, and... I live in the Quad Cities. You know, I probably uh, came to to be interested in trauma because of my own experiences, um, but have just, I, I mean, my niche kind of is working with women, and I have a great fondness for, for trauma and for complex childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my favorite stuff, is just mostly working with women around trauma. So Isn't that, is, it, is, it, is it sort of funny for you to be like, I really love, like, it's my favorite thing to work around complex childhood trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me why it's your favorite thing, actually. I'm curious about that. Mm, that's a good question. I think... Um, people who go through hard things and can kind of change the message in that. So moving from uh, deep core beliefs about, about brokenness or about um, not being safe, mm-hmm. not being loved, not being worthy, um, and just being able to watch someone transform that into almost the opposite. Yeah. You know, I am whole, yeah. um, reconnecting to self. I am worthy. I'm lovable. I'm good. Um, there's just a depth to the work that is just like soul work. It's like the core of who you are. Mm. Um, and it often presents as a lot of symptoms at first, Mm. you know, panic attacks, high anxiety, um, obsessive compulsive stuff. Um, you know, but as you work on it, it's, it's just this like deeper level work of who am I? What do I believe about myself? How does that show up in my body? How do I carry myself through the world? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, I, I love it mm. because there is a lot of transformation. There is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually will say that, again, like in decades of that CBT setting, I've had moments of profound breakthrough that have been really um, useful to me. But from like a beginning to end difference, like the transformation of it, in the year that we worked together, maybe a little bit longer, that was uh, infinitely more effective for me Mm -hmm. um, than probably the equivalent of five years of talking. Yeah, EMDR is kind of awesome. It is, Um, right? Yeah, and it is kind of weird that we're doing a podcast together because I was your therapist. And so- Did you want to like- Well, flush that out a little bit? (laughs) There's a thing, dual relationships are not okay. And so- um, uh, we had kind of talked about when we wrapped things up that, um, you know, if, if there were ever to be a podcast or a thing or there mm-hmm. has to be this like separation of relationships. So, yes. you know, Sarah and I are not friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we we aren't going to kind of hang out socially outside of this context. And um, we kind of talked about this and I consulted with some other people um, kind of in the vein of like Chelsea Handler mm-hmm. and her therapist. Um mm-hmm. I wouldn't do this with every client I've ever had, but I feel like you 
are a very self-aware, empowered individual. Um, it's you. your podcast. It you is. get to edit it I however do. you want uh-huh. to. You have total control over it. Um, I thought the risk of harm to you was low. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you're a a, a healed person mm. in so many ways that it felt safe it felt okay um so i used my judgment but it's it's kind of odd like i've never done this before um so <laughs> well, I, welcome. I yeah with the time since i last saw you and then just knowing who you are and yeah. um it seemed like this was kind of uh for you seemed to be born out of like public service announcement it about yeah. what is healing and yeah. what you know and so it's i'm really honored to be here and just want to acknowledge it's kind of weird <laughs> And if you have a therapist in your life who's like, let's do a podcast episode together, that could be a red flag yes. for the general, you know. <laughs> not so. in this not in this specific situation, but <laughs> yes. there are there's a lot that went into this. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Yeah. And it is, I was really grateful for your willingness because to your point, the dual relationship piece is important in the boundary of it keeps everybody safe. Mm-hmm. And you've nailed it though, that the intent for me, um, is nothing other than I want, I actually want to demystify the trauma, like trauma work because of the sheer volume of women that I've spent time with who are clearly living um, inside of what feels like a prison because they have, they've also put in front of them this idea that trauma work will undo them or make it impossible for them to function or, and, and so I really would like to demystify that process for them so that they can kind of go, well, maybe it is accessible to me and maybe there is some freedom available to me. Um, and while I think stigma around mental health has is better, you know, I think it's always shifting. I also um, think that we have a long way to go mm-hmm. and that it's very easy for us to minimize what is traumatic to us yeah. and be like, why can't I get over it? You know? Yeah. Well, and I think a working definition of trauma is helpful um, because trauma can be all sorts of stuff. So you can think about a car accident, um, a health crisis, a sexual assault, um, uh, interpersonal violence. um, But there are also these traumas. It just means it's like overwhelms your system. It's too much, too fast. And so that could be standing in front of your classroom and being humiliated or... um, a comment that someone makes to you that's shocking or stunning. So your system is just put in this state of um, kind of uh, it's under attack Mm -hmm. and it could be physical attack, but the more we know about trauma, you know, it used to be trauma was just like a threat to your physical integrity Yeah, that your body or the body of someone you're looking at is not going to be okay. Um, But it's also your personal integrity, your um, who you are as a person, your soul, your spirit, Um, you know, it could be coming out to your parents and them saying, no, we're not doing that. You're not doing that. You know, there's no physical danger there, but that is a trauma because it's a threat. It's an assault on the person. Yeah. Um, and so I think that definition of trauma has kind of shifted. So for people to understand, you know, kind of what is traumatizing it's in that moment. Did it feel like too much, too fast? you know, kind of put you back on your heels. And it it really, what it does is it overwhelms your brain and your body. Mm. Um, And I think what you talked about with talk therapy or you're, you're a storyteller, you're a beautiful storyteller. And that is kind of our episodic memory. It's like, you know, um, your prefrontal cortex is involved, your hippocampus is involved, and you're kind of narratively telling a story about an experience you had 
and and there's a lot of power in reframing that in mm-hmm. figuring it out and uh you know owning the narrative and and that works for a lot of stuff in life but when we're traumatized um these parts so there's this little part of your brain called your amygdala and it's like this control center that's scanning the environment for threat and if if something happens it's like pushing panic buttons and um, getting you into this fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And if that um, threat or experience is really overwhelming, it actually kind of shuts down your hippocampus, which is where you make memory. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which is where you're um, thinking, planning, analyzing, strategizing. um, And you're really in this kind of body-based fight or flight freeze operating system. It's our most basic human cave person uh, operating system. And so that thing happens, you know, the next day the sun comes up um, and that way that you process things wasn't accessible to you. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell the story of it because if you try to, you can't breathe. Yep. You know, (laughs) you are describing my actual lived experience and a very, it was to your point, it's very odd for me because I am, I am a master at, Mm -hmm at the storytelling, at the reframing, at the, the ability to articulate it. And I was like, can't, you can't talk when you can't breathe. Yeah. It becomes like a little box of sharded glass that is in pieces. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of illuminate this point, imagine you're, you know, walking down a path. I probably used this analogy when I saw you, but, um, and you're going to go pick your favorite apple and you've got your baby, you're wearing your baby on your back and you are a cave person. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're kind of walking that path. It's it's 10 o'clock in the morning. The air is crisp. There's a bonfire smoke in the distance. Um, maybe it's 68 degrees. You had some coffee beans, so you have a little bit of that caffeinated feeling in you. Um, you're feeling very peaceful. You're breathing. Um, you know, you see the red apple. Everything, all that context that we don't consciously pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And... From your right side, a tiger comes out and it it's going to attack you and your child. And so in that moment, your body is almost taking snapshots without your knowledge. Like none of this is in your awareness right. um, of everything related to that event that could end your life. And that uh, hard wiring is going to send you into fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. So your hippocampus is not functioning. Your prefrontal cortex it doesn't want you to think, should I run? Should I fall over? You know, no. There's no There's analysis. No time for that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So your body just does its thing. And maybe it decides to play dead and faint, like freeze. Maybe it decides to try to run, or maybe it decides to try to fight. Mm-hmm. So let's say you fight the tiger and it's gone, and or you freeze and it sniffs you and it moves off. Mm-hmm. And you just stay as still as you can so that it just thinks it's nothing and it, you know, goes away. Um what happens is that is such a terrifying event. It's so injurious to the person. You know, it could be a different kind of trauma, but it's it's impactful. It overwhelmed your system. All these other things shut down. Um, so now the next day, you might not even be able to remember it. Right. Like you might not remember what was going on in yeah. your prefrontal cortex, in your hippocampus. But... The next time you try to walk that path and you have a little coffee and you're starting to feel peaceful, um, physiologically, you're going to get all these messages that like things aren't safe. Yeah. I'm not safe. I'm not safe. Something's up. 
and then your body might want to um, repeat whatever it did to keep itself safe. So you might feel frozen. You might feel fight or flight energy. Um, and that's, even though there's no actual threat, right? right. But, but your body, it's the weather is the threat. The apple color red is the threat. The, right. you know, the path is the threat. The pressure of the baby that you were carrying on your back, you know, someone puts their hand on your back and all of a sudden your heart is racing and you're like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is no story. There's just the physiological uh, thing that kept you safe. It did its job and it did it well. And it's still trying to do it real well. And you're like, no, thank you. I'm safe now. But because you can't tell the story, because you can't calm down. Um, so let's say I put my hand on your back, your amygdala, your very wise amygdala is like, this is a thing that happened right when that thing happened. So let's freak out. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's trying to keep you safe. Yeah. And because every time you think about it, you're so overwhelmed, you can't engage the other parts of yourself to say, you know, Hey, amygdala, we're actually really safe right now. <laughs> um, because you can't even think about it mm-hmm. and it comes to you in bits and pieces and it flashes into your brain and then you feel overwhelmed and, so it's um, talk therapy sometimes can't get at that because talking about it without a process, you know, doing the EMDR is almost like re-traumatizing. Yeah. Yes. It felt that because I did try in a different context mm-hmm. and it felt that way. Like I couldn't, I could maybe start to replay them, like articulate the memory, but the somatic experience, like the throat closing and the chest tightness and it and then I would just sort of dissociate because that's how like that's that for me was the safety route the like yeah I'm not in my body anymore yet this is all happening for me at a time when I desperately wanted to be in my body yeah um one of the things you said that struck me that I love you talked about the very wise and insightful amygdala right and I love um attributing that kind of language to the parts of our selves that are protective mm-hmm. of ourselves right i mm-hmm. think that that a lot of times i've talked to women who've survived trauma and they they have a sense of being being or feeling betrayed by their bodies in it in like the response that they can't control and i love the reframing of like no what's actually happening is this really wise and insightful protective measure that it isn't your body against you at all right yeah um and i just think we're we're so easily led down the path of that our bodies betray us for a hundred million different reasons. Right. Yeah. So reframing that part, I think is so important to understand that there's wisdom in this response oh, yeah. and it's not a brokenness. It's not a deficit. It's actually a profoundly wise response. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that we share with all other mammals, you know, humans have this like control tower self. It's, yeah. it's almost the self that's above your body that is looking at the past, strategizing about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's also powerful. I mean, the evolved thought processes that humans have um, are, are wonderful. Um, but sometimes we can think it's ultimately superior to those instant reactions around safety and okayness. Mm-hmm. Um, because that might include, you know, if somebody came into this this space right now um, and wanted to hurt us, mm-hmm. and we our bodies would do some things, maybe we'd run, maybe we'd hide under the desk or freeze, but we might even like be like, hey, you know, what do you need? How can I help you? Let me take care of you. Mm-hmm. You know, you you seem like you're not okay. Mm-hmm. I I care for you. Yeah. You know, we might fawn. 
like whatever we need to do, we're going to do to keep ourselves safe. And the control tower isn't going to run the show when there's that level of alarm. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, getting women to trust that whatever response they had was the right response. If they're sitting here alive today, or if five years later, they're being their, you know, they're still striving to be their authentic selves. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is getting back into trusting. That was huge for me was shifting the lens around how I understood myself in the memory. Mm -hmm. Like, mm, I, it was a difficult place for me actually to get, uh, to not see myself critically Yeah. or like there had been, I remember that. I am sure you do. (laughs) It was, that was, I got stuck there for a little bit because it was so hard for me to extend compassion. Um, which I think is just generally true for humans. Uh, so we've, we've, um, You've done a beautiful job, actually, uh, articulating trauma and, and that sort of understanding about what's happening mm-hmm. in the body. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what is EMDR? So we've referenced EMDR. We've we've referenced it as, as something that's differentiated from talk therapy, but mm-hmm. talk about what it is. What do we mean? Yeah, so it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a website. It's emdriaemdria.com. Com.org. Um, and on that website, if anyone wants to watch like an overview, they have good videos. So if you want more information, that's a good place to, to go. Um, but what EMDR does is we, it, it's a way to look at a distressing event or memory um, and re-engage the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex while calming down the amygdala so that you can turn that kind of implicit body-based memory or shards of memories into kind of that episodic um, storied memory that then gets put back in long-term storage um, instead of being so upfront and held in consciousness all the time, whether you want it to be or not. And so there's a lot of steps to EMDR. You have to take history. You have to go through some... uh, kind of disqualifiers for doing EMDR. Like if someone's in um, active drug use, you know, it's probably not a good time to do EMDR. If someone is um, uh, still in the unsafe environment, Mm -hmm. it might not be appropriate yet to do EMDR. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's, you kind of go through the screening and then you try to do some resourcing like safe space. Um, So you kind of look at your window of tolerance and, and give the person some tools to get into like a regulated state. So if someone is very, 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 very unregulated, first they need some skills to get regulated. What does that look like to be very, very, very unregulated? What does that mean? So if you think about there's hypoarousal and hyperarousal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you talked about um, thinking about it in your throat squeezing and some of that's okay, but we want to have some skills to bring you back into your window where you feel more okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone came in and they kind of brought it up and they had like a a total panic attack. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we may want to address like, how do you cope with the panic attacks first? Yeah. Not always though. Um, Or people who really dissociate because they'll just leave the space. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they can't stay in the Mm -hmm. present moment. They can't stay. So there's some stuff that you have to kind of maybe do a little work before you start the processing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then together you identify memories 
Um, and usually, if you think about a clothesline of por- almost like um, Polaroid photos, because yeah. um, often people who are traumatized are re-traumatized because those foundational body-based reactions, core beliefs, you know, they're, they're, sometimes it's like there's a little thread of, mm-hmm. a, of a theme. And so you kind of look at the present symptoms, you look at what they want to work on, and maybe you talk about more than one memory, or maybe it's just a car accident. So you kind of figure out, okay, what are we going to target first? And then, um, you know, the EMDR sessions are very different because you come in, you sit down, and it's like, okay, today we're going to work on this memory you've identified. Um, what's the worst part of it as you think of it now? Mm-hmm. Um, what negative belief about yourself goes with the memory? Mm-hmm. And so kind of some work to flesh that out is that I'm not safe. Um, I'm not, I'm bad. Um, I don't belong. You know, so you're kind of working to flesh that out. And then we look at how would you prefer to feel about yourself today in 2022? Right. As you look back on this thing that happened when you were 18. Yep. Um, and so then we kind of do a little check of where do you feel, if you think of that memory and that negative belief about yourself, what do you feel in your body? What is that emotion? How intense is it? And so you just kind of start by holding those things together in your mind. And you can't do this by yourself. You need to do this with a therapist. <laughs> recommend. 10 out of 10 so if you're would recommend along, a therapist. Yes. Um, <laughs> do not do this at home. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to hold those things in, in your mind. And for short amounts of time, you're going to bring up the memory, the thought, the body feelings. And for about 30 seconds, as a therapist either has you look back and forth with your eyes or hold these little tapper things, um, you're just going to let those things hang together and breathe and just notice. Mm -hmm. And so um, the bilateral stimulation of the brain while you hold the content, it kind of requires this like dual attention. Mm -hmm. It makes it harder to get lost in the memory Mm -hmm. um, because you have this dual attention. And when we sleep in REM sleep, our eyes like go back and forth. And so they don't actually know exactly how this works, but there's something that helps to process things of kind of that back and forth movement. And it's kind of de-arousing too, Mm -hmm. a little bit calming. Yeah. Um, And so as you're doing it, you're looking at this stuff for short bursts of time with support, with this dual attention, it's just helping to slow everything down, everything down, um, so it's like maybe 25 seconds and then you stop, you take a deep breath, you try to let go of whatever that was. And then you just think, what do I notice now? Yep. You know, and you just do that kind of over and over again um, until you stop reporting any change in information or new information. And then you go back to the memory and people will find that like, I can kind of see it now. Yeah. Or instead of it being, uh, you know, up close in my face and it's all I can see, I feel like I'm outside the room where I feel like it's in a scrapbook of other memories instead of being like the only thing I see. Yeah. So there's this, uh, you know, change that happens in processing. And so like it's talking about you desensitize to it. So you're kind of like, okay, I can see this now and I can still breathe. Mm -hmm. And instead of my disturbance level being a 10, it's now a two. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the, the reprocessing part is really trying to install this positive core belief. And so now I can look at that memory. Um, I had gotten into EMDR because I had, uh, I was like kidnapped when I was in college. Um, wow. Yeah. I never told you that because I no. was your therapist. Yeah. See, we <laughs> held really good boundaries. <laughs> so part of how I got into doing this was it messed me up, like totally messed me up. And I did EMDR on it. And when I first went in there, I could, I, it was like, I'm going to die. I actually remember 
the thing that stuck out the most was I'm never going to see my parents again. Mm. That was like, I don't know why that popped into my head. So I got to a place where then I could look at the memory. I could watch it from start to finish. I could be pretty regulated. Um, and then the installation piece was like, I'm still here today. I obviously didn't die. Um, and I kind of had this really strong sense of like, I kept myself safe. Like Mm -hmm. I got out of that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now when I look back at that memory, um, it's like, I don't even not, I, I, it's not like I'm like, I, I don't even hate that it happened. It's a new, it feels kind of neutral. It's a part of my story. It's a part of my history. And I take away from it a feeling of like, I'm a, I'm a strong person. I got through that and I did get out and, you know, yeah. I love that because I actually didn't, I knew enough about EMDR to go, I, uh, this is me in general. Like I do so much by intuition and I just knew that I needed the thing that I had heard it offers, but the actual process and the function of it, the part that you said, when it gets reprocessed, it goes back to long-term memory. Mm-hmm. The, I didn't realize that that was what was happening, right? But that is definitely exactly my experience, that it's, um, it feels now like a mostly neutral memory mm-hmm. to me, as opposed to this activating terror. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people, uh, one of the things that I hear people sort of confuse in this process is um, they'll say, I don't want to have to relive it. Like, you know, that idea. Actually, can you speak to that a little bit? So some of the the things that I've heard is like, it's already bad enough. I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to bring up repressed memories. I don't, like, I'm afraid of this idea of reprocessing anything because it feels so terrifying the way that it is now. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody in that situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's some quote like Joseph Campbell. It's like the treasure you seek is in the cave you fear the most or, you know, something like that. Yeah, amen. Or there's only to get through it. You just have to go through it. Yeah. Um, but we do a lot of things in EMDR to make sure, because we don't want someone overwhelmingly re-experiencing. Right. The point is not to be back there. It's to be in this it's to feel your feet on the ground, to have that dual attention, to be here. Mm-hmm. And it might get a little blurry sometimes. You might feel like you're back there. But we want to, the, the therapist needs to keep it contained enough um, that you're not just like re-traumatizing or re-experiencing. Yeah. Um, so if someone is feeling like it's too, they feel like they're there again. There are some tricks. Like you can say, I want you to watch this on a movie screen. And you can make the screen huge. You can make it the size of a postage stamp. It can be in black and white. It can be in color. No sound, sound. And so we'll try to get what piece of it can you look at that feels like you're looking at it, but it's not going to completely overwhelm you. And then let's see if we can calm that down. Mm -hmm. And then people will notice, okay, I can see it now in color. Um, The other one is like you imagine you're in a train and you're looking out at the landscape and you're going to watch it go by, but you're in the train, you're safe. Mm -hmm. And if that feels overwhelming, let's roll up a big window you know, between it, or let's tint the window mm-hmm. or, um, because the, the point is that you're looking back at a memory. Right. And you're trying to store this memory away. Right. Yeah. The, tra- I, the train, I remember the train being very useful to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually can still, there are still times where I will feel on recall. There are still times that I will feel at first, like the memories moving, like on the outside of a train, like huh. that's, yeah, it's, when I first recall it, that's yeah. where it is, where it sits, is like a landscape. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I think that the, there's some wisdom for sure in that understanding that of course it's, it feels scary, uh, to, um, contemplate the idea of reengaging mm-hmm. this in any way, shape or form, but not, but, and I think the reality of any change that we fear, at least for myself, often it's the, it's this bad this way. It could get worse kind of thing. And it could get better. <laughs> well, and we do have people keep, uh, it's called a Tice's journal. Cause it's not like you come in and you're done in an hour. That's I mean, real important. Let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. This is not, yeah. So you want to talk about that? Like, well, some people can reprocess, uh, one event quickly. Oh, you know, sometimes that does happen. Okay. Um, that was not my experience. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the norm. Okay. The norm is you have to leave it open at the end and you try to get regulated. And then the next time you come, you keep processing it. Um, I wish our insurance system was different so that it could be like, come, come for a day, yeah, you know, and get all the way through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but it's just, unfortunately, you can't really do that. You have to chunk it out. Um, so we have people keep a Tice's journal, which is like, you know, reprocessing keeps happening between sessions and Mm -hmm. you might actually feel a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So notice any thoughts, insights, uh, cognitions, emotions, sensations, and just jot them down. And then we teach people this container thing. Um, You can use the container to put stuff in if you feel like you can't deal with it until you come back to therapy. And so there's some like how to contain all that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you're processing stuff, it, it can get a little more intense. Um, and so you kind of have to trust your clinician. You have to kind of commit to seeing it through because you don't want to like open it and then quit because you will feel worse. Yeah. I mean, if you just like let it all out, but don't do the don't finish it. Yes. Oh, that actually, I actually felt a somatic reaction to the idea of that yeah. because it is a little bit like a raw spot for yes. a while. Um, but it's interesting because it's tolerable. It's, I'm not, it's not comfortable, but it's, it is definitely, mm-hmm. or it was in my experience, it was very tolerable. Yeah. Like I, I had a very clear ritual after sessions. I would go walk. Um, Which is great because it's bilateral. bilateral. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. And it would, uh, because I would leave pretty on edge, honestly, but then by the end of the walk, like another hour, mm-hmm. my body was like, oh, we actually are okay. Except for this. I mean, I'm, I was processing a sexual assault and this one time I'm on this golf course and it's deserted but for this one guy. Mm. And I was like, wow, is that, I mean, the guy was safe, but it was an interesting context to put myself in, to go like, this was wide open inside of me. And Mm -hmm. then to be in a situation that felt like the apple and the hand Mm -hmm. on the back, even though it wasn't right. But um, yeah, I think that that piece is important too, is to help people understand that it is a, you do want to commit to the process from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, in your years of practice, this focus on um, trauma, ha- tell me what you've seen for people, not specifically, but in general. Obviously, you still use the modality, so you find it to be effective. Mm-hmm. But what, what could people expect if they wanted to engage in this modality? Yeah, I mean, so the thing about EMDR is it's really scripted. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole guidebook, and you have to follow it, it you know, you, you kind of know what you're getting because it's a very scripted thing and you want to have fidelity to the model. You want to do it the way that you're supposed to do it. Sure. It's actually a very researched and evidence-based therapy um, because it has a script. 
Um, so you would expect to do the history taking, identify the target memories, choose which ones you're going to work on. You do the reprocessing, um, or sorry, you do the desensitization and then the installation of the new beliefs. There's like this body scan thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you might move on to another memory. So oftentimes as you're processing, something else will like pop up and it's like, okay, let's think about maybe doing that next or kind of adding that. You know, some people find it really helpful and they want to do more than one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I never have had a client that maybe has just come to me for EMDR that I didn't spend time doing talk therapy with, Yeah. but we would identify like which sessions will be at EMDR sessions. Cause if you chat or like catch up or kind of get into anything else, you won't have time to do the EMDR. Correct. So you have to kind of like be like, we're starting this, you know, yeah. it's kind of weird too. It is because you have to sit down and go, we're working right now. Like yes. there's none of that easing in that you do in therapy. Yeah. It's like, no, just sit down and buckle up. Yep, Here are starting. your little sensors. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're, we're going. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think people can expect um, a, a relief and a recentering or just a shift and maybe feelings of safety or goodness or, you know, kind of whatever those core beliefs are. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. I mean, it, it does come with it, the possibility of discomfort, of pulling up things that you are not your favorite things to look at and feel and, but how much time and body resources and go to like keeping those at bay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the end it's a good trade off because if you can kind of um, really work through that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have all those symptoms coming up. You don't have all those, just that resistance to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The price of emission has been worth the ride for me a hundred times over. Yeah. It has definitely changed a lot for me. And I, um, and I suspect too, as I, you know, we came to a place that I was like, no, I'm, I'm good for now. And it's interesting too, is I just continue to do my own work that I can now kind of identify a couple of spots that I'm like, I'll bet EMDR would be really good for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once you understand the way that it functions in you, mm-hmm. it's, it isn't for everything. It's not for all of it. Right. For sure. At least it was, it's not for me, but there are definitely places that I'm like, no matter how much I talk about that, yeah, that is not going to change the experience in my body. Um, no, I actually just kind of got back into therapy to do EMDR mm-hmm. on uh, two of my kids have health conditions. Mm-hmm. And so one of them had seizures and then one of them has just an allergy to, to pistachios and cashews. Um, but he, he had an anaphylactic event. Wow. So, you know, I'm driving him to the emergency room and he can't breathe and I've given him the EpiPen, but it's not, you know. Oh. So both of those things, the child I had with this like heart condition that would cause her to pass out, you know, I've, um, I didn't even let, it was, and it wasn't until they've resolved and we felt more, I couldn't even have processed them at the time that they felt ongoing. Yeah. Because I was just in fight mode. Like, how do I keep them safe? What am I going to do? I'm going to research things on Google until four in the morning. None of that is good. That's a trauma response. Right. Um, but I wasn't at a place to process it. But then after things calmed down and I was like, just wanted to hang out with my family and feel safe in my body and feel it would be like, nope, you can't, mm. you know? So it wasn't logically, I know we're through the worst of it. Everything's going to be okay. And then like the pandemic brought up weird, like health things and body yeah. fragility. And like, I don't know, 
just everything in the the soup of the air. The inevitability um, of death. I mean, death. Yeah, we put that one in there, and suddenly everybody's very triggered. Yes, right. Yeah, like, we, are we dying? Yeah, like, is everybody right. gonna die? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so I I kind of have gotten back into just reprocess those events because I realized that in my body I just felt a constant humming of like I don't know if we're safe. Mm. Like, are they gonna die? You yeah. know, even though they're healthy and they're fine and like they're doing well. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, stuff just comes up in life. And if you notice that, like, I think the places I most notice it is when it's like, I would want to just relax mm-hmm. and be safe in my body and be embodied. And there's this little, nope, hum. you know? Yeah. You said it well, the hum, there's a hum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of like constant energy and alertness. Hypervigilance. Hyper, oh, that damn word. Yeah. I, yeah, so if I get into a mode where I'm, like, really in the control tower, like, checking, analyzing, mm-hmm. trying to keep people safe, mm-hmm. you know, then I'm like, okay, that's that's kind of, like, my go-to trauma response. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, in modern times, we might call that good mothering. Right. But it's actually, for me, it's a trauma response. Right. Good mothering to me is, like, can I lay on the floor and feel at peace and... Yep not be worried about the 7,000 ways my children might die in the next week, you know, so. Imagine that. <laughs> Who would want that kind of peace? Everybody. That's exactly, that's, yeah. That's but but for traumatized people, when they start to feel it, they're like, oh, no, I can't trust this. I can't let this be. Yeah, it's funny. You're literally describing like 90% of my life. So mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's important to note too that I believe this to be a like the common human experience oh yeah at this point feeling that hyper vigilance that constant alert yeah um i think our nervous systems are pretty much constantly under assault so absolutely um okay how do people find you are you are you open to are you is your, yeah 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 so okay. i'm i'm a therapist and i own the practice and so there's nine of us that are doing therapy i'm not taking new clients Okay. I'm trying to like... I like it. You're dialing back. So any client I've ever seen, always, you know, welcome to come back. But I'm uh, kind of supervising some people and... Great. You know, working on the roster of clinicians in the area because we need more and... Yeah, um, I love it. Yeah. And trying to like write a little bit and kind of, you know, through my own healing, just slow things down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a definite protector part that was like, you always have to be pushing and driving and going and helping and getting involved. And so I've kind of like quit everything. Uh, all my- I am <laughs> celebrating this for you. I had no idea. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm not really helping anybody or doing anything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just supervising some people and healing, but that's so good. Yeah. So just kind of doing my normal job and hanging out with my family and trying to get embodied. I love, I love yeah. yeah. And which is a can be a full-time job, the trying to get in my body thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So then if people were now interested in EMDR, where would we send them? Well, so there is a clinician at my office who does it. Her name's Betsy Fetter. Um, So our website is qcpsychotherapy.com. Okay. Um, But the EMDRIA website, so that EMDRIA.com or org, they'll have a list of clinicians and you can, um, you know, kind of search and see if there's a clinician in the area. Great. Um, the, you have to go through all these steps to be on their list. I'm actually not even on their list because you have to like do all these, you have to like submit things. And so there are still good EMDR clinicians who um, may not be on that website. Sure. 
or if you go to like psychologytoday.com and put in your zip code and search for EMDR mm-hmm. therapist, they'll it'll narrow down a list. You can find people. Okay. Um, I know there's a therapist in town. I hope she doesn't mind that I say this. Her name's Katie Grant, and she actually offers some sort of like group EMDR. Oh. Um, at the Botanical Center. Wow. Yeah, and I don't know how that works if there's like preparation for it, but we do I... have good EMDR clinicians in the Quad yeah. Cities. Great. I'm, the one I'm going to, I feel bad for him because, like, I'm like, I don't really want to, like, relationship with you or anything. Just do the EMDR to me and I'm going to go home, you know? <laughs> we don't need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where's the tappers? Just get them out. <laughs> Where are the tappers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's funny. So. Um, yeah, I, uh, that's good. I, I, I want people to have ample resources to start down that path and... Um, I'm also really excited that you're drawing a boundary about your own life and time. That's fabulous. So yeah, yeah, but there are, and, and another important thing here too, I think is, I think you've already said it, but this isn't a modality that we, we can do virtually. You need to find somebody to be in a physical space with, right? Well, that was always the rule until the pandemic. Oh, you can do EMDR. So now they've kind of developed, um, these ways on like your iPad or whatever, people will move their fingers back and forth across your screen. Whoa. It was always like a no-no. But then with the pandemic, I think so many things have shifted and they found that like people, I think because the risk of people being unregulated and then you not being there. Yeah. Um, but I guess they're finding that it, it's okay. So now. I stand corrected. Yeah. Now, Virtual EMDR, friends, sign yes, up. That's you can excellent. do it virtually now. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that, anything else that you feel like we haven't covered or do you feel like we covered what we need to yeah I mean I am just happy to be here and happy to hear that it was healing for you and yes um enormously so yeah I wanted to hear more from you I was (laughs) I feel like I talked a lot no that was the goal (laughs) actually the goal was you okay so you did exactly what I wanted okay well I am deeply appreciative um of you and of of the insight and wisdom that you've lent to me over time and um and for your willingness to be here with me even though it's like you know quote kind of weird mm-hmm. but I feel like it's uh it was a really important conversation and very important for me to demystify this for people because I I know how useful it is and I know how afraid people can be yeah. um to even engage and ask a question so now they don't even have to they can just listen and and hopefully find some of their own freedom on the other side so yeah. thank you for that yeah well thanks you for having me it's been such an honor to watch all of your transformation and the wonderful things you do for the community and kind of your courage to to share what's healing i'm certainly trying yeah all right thank you yeah that's it for today's episode thank you for being willing to be a witness to these women and to their stories if you loved today's episode be sure to subscribe and write a review and most importantly invite the women you know to join this chorus of courage and help us make a world where every body belongs i'll see you all soon